So great team. Thank you, tech team. Is uh, everybody serving from greeters to children's church, parking attendants, all that good stuff. I have the privilege to uh, say that one thing that really can only be said once and be true. There are people in the room that if they weren't literally alive, I wouldn't be here today. And I'm going to invite my parents to stand who are up visiting this weekend. And some of you have never seen them or know them. That's my mom and dad. <laughs> Sam and Linda Beitler, I am so grateful for my mom and dad. There was a minister one time went to my dad and said, as I was in Bible school, and he said, aren't you sad that your son isn't going to be taking over the family farm or doesn't plan to do that? And my my dad said the, said the words that have echoed through these decades that we just want him to do whatever God wants him to do. And so to have parents that honor the call on our lives, I'm very, very grateful for. So love you, Mom and Dad. Thanks for all the support and grace. Going to call up Dr. Noah Parsons at this time. He loves it when I call him doctor. Yeah. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Noah and Kim, uh, grateful for them. They moved to Saskatoon somewhere over a decade ago, and they chose to be some of those people to bring some fresh life and blood when we were about 30 or 50 people. And there was all these other places they could have gone and chosen and put down roots, but they chose to help bring life to this place. So, Noah, we love you guys are very we, much. Are we still fresh? Well, we're, we're, both ten, we're both 10 years older. I know that much. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You definitely look more fresh than me. Everybody's pointing out my gray hair today. Look at that act of love. Give Thank Kim you. a big round of applause. <laughs> Kim loves applause about as much as Noah loved being called doctor. So. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Noah and Kim, and thank you for their life and your calling, and that many years ago you brought them to yourself through the gift of salvation. And today we pray anointing on Noah as he brings us the word. May our hearts be open to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go for it. Thank you. Yeah. All right, I'm getting... Uh, I said this in the first service, so I'll share it even though I don't need to, but uh, <laughs> recently I had an experience where my eyes didn't work the way I thought they would. I was at a niece's wedding and I went to read some notes off of a thing I wanted to share and uh, there was no light over my head and I would look down as one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had I couldn't see have anyone ever had that don't admit it or you're in a different age category but anyway all that to say I'll try not to wear any glasses but we'll see I may have to do it I uh, made it through last service and um, the other thing I was going to share with the group sorry my I should have organized myself before I came up here I had made a, a handout potentially that you all could have used but uh, I was thankful it didn't wasn't here because I felt last service, I got quite emotional. Um, the Lord was really moving in my heart, and so I can't replicate that for another service by any means, but uh, I'm thankful for his faithfulness, amen? Sorry, I'm just organizing myself here. You can see how long it's gonna be. Look at it. <laughs> just, oh, there's one more page, there you go. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a title because really if you catch the title, you catch the gist. And the one thing I want you to not miss, if you don't take anything else out of this today, is that Jesus Christ is alive and well. He's fully for us. He's moving in our midst. And he wants to meet and know every single one of us. Amen? Not one of us in this room does he not know intimately. We don't always know him intimately, but he knows every one of us. 
And so the title that I'm giving this today is Welcome Home to New Life in the Welcome Home Theme. And using Zacchaeus, it's a demonstration that God makes the impossible possible. And as I'm going to flesh out, there's three main points you're going to catch. He got it, he gets it, and he gave it. It's very simple. But we're going to look at that here in a few minutes. But I'm going to ask some questions. It feels like I just did this, but interesting. Yeah, it's a funny experience. Now I see what you go through every week here. <laughs> Three, I'm going to ask you a few questions to get you thinking about some things. One, one big, big show of hands. How many of you like paying taxes? You love to get, oh yeah, is this online? No. <laughs> they better not look and see who doesn't like it anyway. And you see, you know, you go look at your paycheck at the pay stub and it's smaller and smaller. And then, of course, right now in the way our country is going, it's getting even smaller. But anyway, we won't talk about that on church. Anyway. How many get a big smile on your face if you know the CRA is going to make a, just a nice, friendly, surprise visit to your either business or to your home? Anyone like that? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, everyone's afraid to, to do anything online. Anyway, that's all right. There's reasons. The next thing I want to ask, I'm setting a stage. These might seem strange, but we're setting a stage to understand Zacchaeus. How many um, like a trader or someone that you think would be on your side and then they just throw you under the bus? How many like those kind of people? I learned this really early on in my life, but I thought of one example when I was putting this together back in grade three. Yeah, it sounds serious. It was serious back then. The teacher leaves the classroom and appoints this young girl uh, who is a friend of mine, and she is monitoring the class. She's supposed to write down names of anyone who misbehaves, and of course, it's like free-for-all in my mind because she's a friend. So my guys sitting beside me were just going off whatever we're doing. I was really hyper and, but I didn't really think anything because she's my friend. Next thing you know, teacher comes back. I see her looking at the list, and my name was on it multiple times. <laughs> anyway, I went to the principal's office, the walk of shame. But I learned very early on, I don't like traitors. <laughs> what about people who betray you in your own country? We're going broader now. What about your own countrymen, somebody who should be uh, one of your fellow na- nation, whatever, um, and they turn on you? Not a nice feeling, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, maybe you've never experienced that, but if you did, it would be an awful feeling. And typically, when somebody feels betrayed, our response potentially is what? Well, we're going to avoid certain people. We might give them a little look, a little glance out of the side of our eyes, mumble a few things under our mouth, if we're not abiding in Christ and letting him control us, right? And we might even get so bad as we start talking about them behind their back and then worse yet right to their face i mean behind their back's actually worse but the face is you know that takes a lot of boldness and you know you're really taking it up a level when you get to that and we're going to go the reason we're getting there is because i want to really establish for us what zacchaeus was like zacchaeus was a tax collector if you had had notes one of the main thing i would like as far as you do have notes but you can't have all the stuff i was going to show you which is perfectly fine Zacchaeus was a despised tax collecting trader. In general, tax collectors were hated. Why? Because they worked for Rome, the enemies of the Jews, and he was a Jew serving them. And I'm going to go in just some general things about him. Don't zone out. Don't think about the buffet that's after this. Just sort of focus in because I want to establish as to what's so amazing about Zacchaeus and why it affects us. His fellow Jews would have considered him a low life. They would have considered him as being a sinner. You see that in verse 7 of the passage we're looking at. And in his eyes, this is what's very important, he would have been despised by both God and man. I'll get, it, I'll get to that. But imagine living in a context where even the very ones that you think you can go to for support, the sort of religious establishment of the day, and even there you fully, you're ostracized, you're out. 
You've got nowhere to go other than a lot of money. So this is who he is. He's a social outcast in his day. And it says, um, as we look at this here, obviously verse 1, it says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Tax collectors, as I said, they served the Romans, so they're already traitors in the eyes of the Jews. And some of the things that they would collect taxes on, I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, I was joking with Kim when I was putting this together. I, liked the, I was getting really fascinated with tax collecting, so apologize if I say too much about it. I was just learning all kinds of stuff, and I was like, oh, they had to do a lot of stuff back then. You know, the Romans, they paid taxes. Uh, they had to pay a, ta- a tax towards, uh, to the Jewish leaders towards maintaining the temple. The Romans taxed them on their income. They had to pay taxes on different goods that they purchased. Entrepreneurs would have to buy, pay taxes on the goods they buy and sold in order to go on certain routes, in order to enter into certain cities. In short, it was a lot of tax. So were they Canadians? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> On an online article called Tax Collectors in Jesus' Day on PursueGod.org, they estimate that anywhere about 30 to 40% of the Jewish people's income was taxed, but it could have been even higher. So you can kind of see why they didn't like these guys. These weren't their favorite guys. Now, not only were they collecting a lot of taxes, they were using a lot of fraudulent practices. How many like guys that aren't honest? You go to buy a used car, whatever it is, and hey, is this car work good? And what does the guy do? You know, shifty eyes. Oh, yeah, this thing works great. You know, you can't get a better car. How many like people like that? Won't look you in the eyes, say whatever you want to hear, and then once you're done, it's obviously never what they delivered. But they used fraudulent practices. It was a legitimate profession, but it was done illegitimately often. And because they got a lot of, they got a lot of pay to begin with, at least a decent salary, but how they enticed some of these people to be traitors to their own people is they could collect Uh, a certain amount that they had to give to Rome, but whatever they collected over and above that, they could keep for themselves. So you can imagine, if you know that's part of it, you're going to use kind of whatever means necessary to get a little bit of extra money. And I'm not going to give all of those examples. They might give overinflated assessments on the value of goods. Uh, They might kind of threaten to falsely accuse you on smuggling goods, and then they might get hush money. There's all kinds of things they would do, but this is the kind of stuff. Now, on top of that, you have them being obviously the lowest of the low in their, in their uh, area. And one of the things I shared, I'll share this just because I thought it was interesting. In terms of the religious establishment of their day, they were excommunicated by being considered apostate. So that's interesting to me. It's very interesting to me. And as I was looking in Fawcett's Bible Dictionary, it, uh, this is just a quote, but it says, The synagogue alms box and the temple Corbin must not receive their alms, nor could they judge or give testimony in court. In other words, the Jewish legal courts. So these guys, really, they're kind of rejected. So is it any wonder when you read the scriptures, tax collectors and sinners, who else could they hang out with? They hung out with the riffraff. Those were the people that they can be around. But interesting, who did Jesus hang around with often? The very ones that everyone else thought he shouldn't be. So I don't want you to miss that point today. Zacchaeus. Even more despised. Why? He's a chief tax collector. He's rich, it tells us in verse 1. So what would he do? He would earn a contract. He would make a bid on how much taxes were going to be bid. He's in the district of Jericho, and he's now going to have other tax collectors under him. And so he's going to just want to make sure he gets enough to cover his bid, but then get as much more above that. And so he's making a lot of money. Okay, so it's important that we see, and so he's going to carry probably a burden. Obviously, he's going to use false accusations at times, extortion to get more money. And Daryl Bach, in his commentary, the NIV application commentary on Luke, he says this, this is a quote that he says here. He says, 
that he stands at the top of the collection pyramid, taking a cut of the commission from those who collected taxes for him, page 478. Interesting. So Jericho is a real center for the trade of balsam, and it's also a custom center, so there was a lot of means to be had. So I hope you focused on that, you didn't glaze over, because there's kind of a method to my madness, because what we see is this is a guy who is despised on all counts. And I shared in the last service, and I believe if I was to see a sort of a welcome mat laid out on heaven's door, what it would say is welcome home. Why? Because new life, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ yet, I will say this, new life is available to anyone and everyone. Amen? Anyone and everyone. Sometimes we think it's for certain ones. Sometimes we look at people in the church and we think, oh yeah, they grew up in church, they've always been around this. This is all they know. If you get around, walk around, talk to some of our stories, you'll realize, yeah, a lot of us never grew up like that. Where, you know, you came to come to Christ, and I'll share some of my testimony here as I go. But all of us have different stories, amen? Nothing is impossible with God, we're going to see. And he can save even those like Zacchaeus who are deemed, what, unredeemable. You know anyone in your life that you would say is unredeemable, unreachable, can never be changed through Jesus? How many know one? Raise your hand. If you don't know anyone, who are you hanging out with? There is a lot of lost souls, amen? A ton of lost souls. We should all know someone that we think is unredeemable. And by no, at the very least, they could be on your street because we all have neighbors. So he was considered unredeemable. But here's what's interesting. There's a key scripture, verse 10. It says, for the Son of Man has come and to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you notice those are actions? To do what? Seek. If I'm seeking something, do I just sit here? It's intentional, is it not? And if I'm going to save, it's very intentional, yes? So I want you to picture that. There is a true and living Savior, a real person right now at the right hand of the Father... Great high priest, Jesus Christ, interceding always to save completely. And what is he doing? He's at work seeking and saving the lost. He's going to the places we often need to go on his behalf because he uses us to preach the gospel. And he wants to use us to what? Be those ones in those dark places shining brightly the light of the truth of the word. Amen? But so often, I know and I'm saying this, didn't say it in the first service, but I remember, I didn't give my life to Christ until I was 21. And let me tell you this. I wasn't getting a constant barrage of Christians coming up to me and sharing about Jesus Christ up until that point. I had to actually start seeking it out, as I'll share a bit after. But where were all the Christians? There's churches everywhere. How do you make it to 21 years old and almost have no one approach you and tell you you're a lost individual, hell-bound, and that there's a Savior who loves you and you don't have to go to hell? And there were some, but I'm not saying there were never any, but I'm saying it wasn't very many. And don't, don't take that as a negative, I'm just saying it's an observation. Jesus Christ, incredible, Messiah, the true and only Savior, awesome God, fully God, fully man, and he's at work seeking to save the lost. Here's a good point. If a person is burdened with a guilty conscience, they feel hopeless, they feel they can never be redeemed, they feel all alone, they feel nobody cares, I want to say this right now. Don't let your emotions deceive you. Don't let your false thoughts overtake you because Jesus Christ truly is pursuing you. How many believe that? He is pursuing those that don't know him. 
He is at work drawing individuals. The Father is at work drawing them. It's such good news. It's so good. It is. It's almost uh, unbelievable to me. Zacchaeus is a demonstration that God makes the impossible possible. So what we're going to see demonstrated are these three things. They're very simple. I'm going to demonstrate through this. We're going to learn these key lessons. That Zacchaeus, he got it, he gets it, and he gave it. I want you to say that with me. Say it like you mean it. He got it. He gets it. He gave it. Now so that I know you actually listen, do it, turn to some beside you and say it without me prompting you. Don't be shy. What had he gotten? We're going to look at the first verses here. Here's the thing. You've got to understand, this is a guy everyone despises. He's got lots of money. He's got lots of what he needs as far as the world's things. But you're going to be lacking in the, in the deeper areas of the real places that matter. And here's a guy who suddenly, we know from the passage, he must have at least got the fact that Jesus was someone special. He wouldn't have the fullness yet. He wouldn't understand all the details about him. Something that was also niggling him, drawing him. How many know before he came to Christ, there was that niggling and that drawing? How many remember those days? Yeah, I remember them. And I resisted for quite a while. And I pushed away and I kind of didn't want to give in. But what happened? Finally, you get to the place and you realize, wow, you're so good, Jesus. Why didn't I, you know, (laughs) why didn't I surrender sooner? Well, part of it was because I didn't know how. I didn't know the gospel. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But what we see, it says this in verse 3, the first part. And he sought to see who Jesus was. Why might that have been? I'll go quickly for some of these. But maybe he had heard about Jesus. Maybe somehow, even though he wasn't hanging around with all the religious individuals and people maybe that he heard, maybe he had heard some stories circulating because Jesus was going from place to place. Luke 15 verse 1 records that tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him. Interesting concept. Maybe he had heard through his grapevine about individuals that were hearing from Jesus. When, when Jesus was brought before Herod for interrogating scripture, says this, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see a miracle done by him. What do we know? Jericho is about 17 miles from Jerusalem, so most likely, if the news of him is getting all the way to Jerusalem, it's also getting to Jericho. Lots of people are talking about this guy, Jesus. So we can see that he's probably got his curiosity peaked. And the other thing that's interesting, how much would he have liked Jesus' comment to the tax collectors and sinners when the scribes and the Pharisees accused him for being around them and hanging out with them? He wouldn't have uh, appreciated the fact that they were always on him. But Jesus, what? He says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not called to come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who gets called to repentance? That's Luke 5, 31 and 32. So even if Zacchaeus hadn't yet heard about Jesus' unique views on associating with tax collectors and sinners... He might have known about Jesus' miracle-working power. As we look in the context of the story, right before this, we see that coming into Jericho, there's a crowd coming in. Why? They're going to the pilgrimage towards the Passover. They're making their way to Jerusalem, and there's a blind beggar there. And if you look at the story, obviously, then Jesus does a miracle. The blind beggar is able to see. Now there's this large crowd coming in, and sure enough, they would be chatting about this. So now he's really going to be amped up, and what is he trying to figure out? Where is Jesus? He can't see him. Why? He's short. 
I wish I was taller, I'll tell you that. But anyway, that's a whole other subject we won't talk about. Sometimes it would be nice to be able to see beyond a crowd. Sorry, I'm just trying to see where I want to go here. But here's what's the interesting thing I love about Zacchaeus. And I don't want us to miss this. When he couldn't see, he didn't just sit there on the roadside. What did he do? He took decisive action. Sometimes in order to come and find who Jesus really is, and he's working on us, we partner with him, and we too step into the very things he's drawing us into. Does that make sense? And I'll share a bit of that. He couldn't see through the crowd. He anticipates the route that Jesus is going to take towards Jerusalem. And what does he do? He runs ahead. Remember, this is a wealthy guy. This is undignified for him. He's running ahead. On top of that, there's a sycamore tree, kind of got a lower trunk, branches out, climbs up, and there he is. Do you think that the people thought that was a little bit strange? Yes or no? Sometimes to meet with Jesus, and I want you to hear me loud and clear, some of you in this room might never have met him yet. You don't know him yet. We have to do things that other people are going to sneer at. They're going to make fun of us. They're going to mock us. Some people are going to think we've lost our whatever. And here's the point. We have to be able to push through that because he'll give us the grace to do that. And I'm speaking as one who knows because I remember when I was about to surrender to Jesus, the wrestling match, and I almost didn't want to cave in. There was a big struggle internally. So he races ahead. He's up a tree. But here's the interesting thing about him. He's very entrepreneurial. He's a take charge kind of guy. And as I've already shared, people already despise him. He's used to people saying things to him that probably like, look at that sellout, look at that thief, look at that loser, whatever. I mean, that's not probably how they talked back then, but that's how we would say it. And so he's up there. He's a thick-skinned guy. And I want to say that if deep down you have a desire to truly experience more of Jesus, if you don't already know forgiveness of your sins, you're going to have to partner with him. And as he starts prompting you, you're going to have to give in. Someone comes up and says, hey, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. And there's sort of a niggling in you, but it seems geeky, weird, whatever. You're like, I'd be willing to sit and chat with you. I'd be willing to go through the word, scriptures, whatever with you. Or if you're a believer in this room and you know deep down you're not where you need to be with Jesus Christ. Your relationship is kind of distant, it's kind of cold, it's whatever. You need to take the steps very aggressively and intentionally to abide in Christ. Because it says in John 15, what? Unless we abide in him, we can accomplish nothing. Nothing. Some things have to go. Some things have to be changed. Some things have to be completely rearranged to what? Pursue that relationship with the one who's pursuing you. Amen? All right. It's funny, sorry, where's Dallas? Is he here? It's interesting how, oh yeah, I was just going to say as an observation, it's interesting, you can go very different directions as the spirit leads, interesting. Different crowd, different direction, that's all right. It's neat. Praise God. But I, I gave this example last time, my own testimony, I don't need to share much, but when God began working in my heart, and I began sensing something was off, I began realizing I need to learn something, so I began eventually... Fast forward to university years. At one point, I tried going to a couple church services. They didn't really preach the gospel there. It was more like what we call a liberal place. But uh, so if you know anything about that, just kind of you go and you sing or whatever. But nobody challenged me that I needed to know Jesus Christ. And then I heard a crusade was coming to my town. And my friend and my mom, they came. And 
Again, how many can relate? When you're sort of in that searching mode, it's not cool to go to these kind of things. So out in the parking lot, I kind of grabbed their hands and I sang mockingly, made the circle be unbroken, like a line or two of it, not much of it. And then, you know, walked in thinking, hey, look at me, I'm going to crusade. I got in there, man, that preacher started preaching and listen, he laid it out so clear. Um, you know, if he's just, I had no doubt Jesus Christ is real. I had no doubt he's God. I had no doubt I'm lost in sin. I had no doubt that the only way for me to find forgiveness was through what? Literally, just by faith, saying, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sins, and ultimately doing what? Yielding my life over to him in repentance and saying, I, I, I surrender. But it didn't happen there. I resisted. I looked around that crowd and saying, uh-uh. What did I do? Drove home silent kind of with him, right into the bathroom of my house when I got home. Some of you have heard that testimony, but here's the point. I wept, I closed the door, I think I just fell down. I remember just absolutely being overwhelmed by the burden of my sin. And Jesus was so real to me in that bathroom, literally, I mean, I, I'll never forget. He wasn't like, I couldn't see him, but he was fully there. And I remember the shame I felt because I was ashamed to go and surrender my life publicly in front of people at the, it was on my university campus in a hockey arena. And I was ashamed to go. And I remember, I can't remember the exact words, I said, Lord, you know, forgive me, I surrendered my life. And I just basically asked him, you know, from this day forward, help me not to be ashamed of you. Fast forward many, many, many years, and I've been very blessed and counted a great privilege that once in a while, over different places, different times, he has blessed me with being able to just be a part of his kingdom work, to see people come to know him, to be able to share about him. Why? Because he's absolutely true and real. Amen? Real, real, real. Say that, real, <laughs> real. It's not, it's not imagining. I know you know that, but sometimes we can feel that way. So we got it. The second key point I want us to get today. So he took this decisive action, and as a result, what? He gets it. What does he get? Because he stepped out in faith. He steps out, and what happens? Well, verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. What are some of the things he gets? You all know this. There's nothing profound, but it's so encouraging to every one of us, whether you do or don't know Jesus. What do you see? Well, he gets noticed by Jesus. Wow. Other people would walk by him, sneer, didn't want to be around him, don't like him, despise him. Here is, you get this, like the actual fully man, fully God. This is Jesus Christ, and he's actually noticing him. It's, yeah, it boggles our mind. He notices Zacchaeus, and not only that, this is good, he knows his name. And he knows his spiritual condition. That is so encouraging to me. A lot of people put up a lot of fight, and a lot of people put up a lot of resistance, but some of the ones that are the most ready to come to Jesus Christ are some of the ones that are sometimes the most resistant. Do you know that? They put up this intellectual argument, and this block, and this, and that. And you know what? It's not because they don't get it. You know what it is? Because they don't want to give it. I, I get it, but if I get it, I got to give it. And you're going to take over my life from this day forward, and I'm no longer my own. So I'm going to act like I need an answer to every question under the sun. No, no, you got the answer. Jesus Christ is alive and well. He's working in your heart. He's calling you to repentance. But what? You're going to resist it, not because you don't know every answer, but because you, what? you don't want to yield. Because he's king. He's king. I've been, I'm going to say this for anyone who's intellectual in here. I'm not saying I'm intellectual, but I'm going to say this. I've been studying for a lot of years now. I feel like I know less sometimes. Do you ever feel that way, Pastor? Yeah. 
Sometimes the more we get into this and the more you're praying and the more you're studying, sometimes the less you realize it's, it's not all about head knowledge. It's about a real person that boggles us. Anyway, that's a tangent, so, but it's, a, it's just really a passion that I, I want to encourage you in. But I better stay focused because I'm... Uh... So he knows his name. He knows his spiritual condition. This is amazing. He gets asked to host Jesus in his house, verse 5. He says he must stay at Zacchaeus' house. He must. It seems odd there'd be better houses to stay in, probably some priests in the area. In fact, one thing I read, I think they said there was about 12,000 priests in the Jericho area. Don't quote me on that. That was just a source I had looked at, and it seemed really profound to me. But anyway, that's a lot. But why does he have to say that? Because verse 10 makes it clear. He what? He came to seek and to save the lost. He's demonstrating very personally and powerfully no one is beyond saving, not even a rich, culturally, and religiously despised tax collector. Nothing is impossible for God. What does he do? Zacchaeus takes the, he, he, he hears it. Jesus took the initiative, verse 5, and Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him, what? Joyfully. How many know that sometimes the biggest resistance goes on internally? How many of you, before you came to Christ, there was a wrestling match? Be honest. How many fought? Raise your hand if you did. Maybe no one did. Wow, I'm really rebellious, I guess. Sorry, I, I had a big fight going on. But I'll tell you this. What was the joy when I finally did? Overwhelming. I walked out of that room feeling like I could float. Unbelievable. I'm not trying to base it on just feelings, but I'm saying it was real, tangible. But not everybody was thrilled with this, that he met with him. Verse 7. They saw him as a sinner. Why would he meet with a sinner like that? It would have boggled their self-righteous minds why Jesus wouldn't have stayed with some of the other priests or other individuals in Jericho. And I shared this in the last message, but it just really, it's a, one of the examples that I really thought I could see because it reminds me in my own heart how quickly I can recognize uh, that others might complain or judge about who we're with, but also in my own heart how I can worry about what people think of appearances. Anyone relate to that? So I'm coming on 20th Street, coming out of one place of ministry, going to a different place where we had just a, between the two, and all of a sudden I see a woman ahead of me, and it's someone I had known from once in a while. She would pop in for a Bible study, but not to stay for the study, just get some snacks or whatever. But there she is, and I catch up, and now all of a sudden we're walking together. I think she had big boots on, short skirt, sunglasses. I think she had a bit of a black eye she was covering, and now we're chatting away. And I didn't think anything of it until... I stop and we're just hanging out chatting because I believe she was probably working the street at times. And so then I see the train's there. How many know where the train is over there? The train's there and there's a line of cars. <laughs> and there I am. Guy in ministry, just hanging out here on the sidewalk alone. Where's my, shouldn't I be out two by two, shouldn't I? Yes, I need someone with me right now, but I'm alone. What do I do? Do I run? Do I jump the train? I'm stuck. So there she is, we're chatting away, but then I notice a guy kind of looking over at me. And for a split second... I thought to myself, I wonder what he's thinking about me. What does he think I'm doing? And then I thought even worse, why am I doing here talking like this? I, I, yeah, this doesn't look too good. And then I had to all of a sudden remind myself, absolutely, God, you know, it's, he came to seek and save the lost. She's exactly who he's about. He's exactly, he didn't care that these ones in verse 7 were all complaining. We shouldn't care sometimes. You know why some people complain? Because they don't want to do it. They don't want to be in the mess. They don't want to be around the people that are uncomfortable or just that make them feel nervous. 
I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying sometimes we make excuses. I make excuses because it costs me something. It's easier to not do it, amen? But it showed me how quick my heart could become cold. But it also, I want to remind us today, there might be someone in here. If Don't ever write anyone off as being unreachable or unredeemable. Never. And I wrote this when I was putting this together, but I want you just to hear this because to me, it affects me. Jesus can see through tattoos. How many know that? He can see through piercings, hair colors, hairstyles, clothing styles, and outward attitudes. Because how many know sometimes we meet certain people, they look a certain way, and I think, man, that guy doesn't want to talk to me. He has no interest in what I'm about to want to tell him. How many ever feel that way? Guys, especially, this is, I mean, look, I live not too far from here. I know what it's like to be out all the time. The guys that sometimes are hard to think they want to listen to me. What if a guy has tattoos on his face? Does he want to talk to me about Jesus? Do I want to talk to him about Jesus? I'm being, I'm pointing the finger at myself because I'm convicted that I need to get up off the couch. I need to start getting myself uncomfortable. And I need to realize that Jesus actually is, uh, this message is convicting me. Thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> but he wants us to reach everybody, amen? I want to stress this fact real quick with us that we should never get to the place where we think we're better than anyone else. You know, some of us in this room, we've been saved a long time, known Jesus Christ a long time, we're made righteous in him, amen? We're fully right with God and in right standing through our faith in Jesus Christ. But what he never did was made us self-righteous. He never made it so that we could ever forget that we were exactly like anyone else that we're looking at. The only difference is he's already found us. We've already surrendered our life to him by, by faith, but there's nothing else different. We were just as lost, just as hellbound, just as deserving of the wrath. His wrath was abiding on us. And here's what boggles my mind. If we know the way to salvation, I know the way. I won't even point it. I know the way to salvation. Why don't I tell more people? Why not? What is it? I don't know. There's lots of reasons. That's up for another day, another sermon. But one of the challenges, as Jim Peterson in his book called Living Proof, Sharing the Gospel Naturally, what he, on page 54 of his book, it's a NAV press book. I won't read the whole thing. But he basically made the observation that the average Christian, this is a quote, has no Christian friends after he's been a believer for two years. I don't know if it's true or false. But I, do, I just threw that out there as a challenge to all of us to, to look at our lives and to say how many relationships do we have that are, are significant enough that we're having a gospel witness with people who are lost. Like we're interacting, talking to them, knowing their hearts, seeing their struggles, listening to what they're going through. And are we willing to step into the darkness and the madness? And will we have quality relationships with them where we bring the light and the good news of the gospel into the spiritual darkness and here's a challenge I issued in the last one. I'll say it again. But our job is never to become like the darkness in an attempt to fit in, seem cool, become culturally relevant, or be more liked. Our role as followers of Jesus Christ is to bring the light of the gospel into the darkness. And the example that I said, and it's what I put together when I was thinking through this and writing it up. But if two guys are sitting together watching TV and they're having beers together, and, the, and their two guys are laughing at crude jokes... And the two guys are basically um, just having small talk. One's a Christian, one's not. That is not a quality gospel witness. Would you agree? 
That is just two guys having beers watching a game. Do we believe that? Because at the end of that, what was any different? What was any different? Where was the light of the kingdom of God? And so when we go into dark places, let's make sure we bring Jesus Christ into the midst. Amen? We'll go quickly here. We're almost there. We have Jesus. He, in Fawcett's Bible Dictionary, it makes it clear, at least they speculate, that Jesus might have spent the night at the home of Zacchaeus. But what's interesting, we don't really know what they discussed. But something amazing took place. Because obviously, Zacchaeus came to some conclusion that Jesus must truly be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And it seems as though he actually finds forgiveness of his sins. Because it says in verse 9 and 10, Today, salvation has come to this house because he is, a, he is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Interesting. So as I look at it, we might ask, how do we know that Zacchaeus found new life through Jesus Christ and was miraculously transformed? This was the question that was burning on me when I was kind of looking at this. How do we know this? People preach on this all the time. How do we know? What do we see? Yeah, Jesus says, yeah, that's right. That's the, that's, that's the truth right there. So yeah, I can't, you can't beat that one for sure. But the main thing I want us to get apart from that is, and this is for us, all of us in this room, is he demonstrated his repentance through his actions. What is Repentance. This is a definition from Gypsy Smith, and it was in a Western Track mission-type little pamphlet, page 4. He says, it's turning from sin to God, getting hold of that which is your curse by the hair, by the hair of its head, and tearing it out by the roots. It means changing your mind about a certain behavior, getting a different perspective on who God is, holy, almighty, incredible, that he's awesome, deserves our all, and what? Letting him do an assessment through the light of the Holy Spirit into our life and anything he shines on that's not in keeping with him, we get rid of. Amen? We get rid of it. And we walk in greater measure of what? Godliness. But what do we see here? Because Zacchaeus did an incredible thing. He gave it. That's the next point. This is our last point. He got it. He pursued Jesus. He gets it. What does he get? Well, he gets noticed. He gets to bring Jesus to his house. And at this point now, after he's finally come to know who Jesus is, he gave it. Well, what did he give? What did he give up? While visiting with Jesus, probably after eating and listening to Jesus, what does he do? He's under the weight of conviction. It says this in verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. This is a rich guy. This is a huge commitment to give half to the poor. And this is why sometimes it's just so neat just to look at some of these things as we, as we go through a passage. But here's the key thing I want you to catch. He voluntarily gave it up. Do you remember in the, another passage, Luke 18, the rich ruler? He wouldn't give it up to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus is voluntary. Jesus didn't make this, this uh, push on him. But he's doing this now. The thing is, he's going to give half to the poor. And later on in Jewish history, some of the Jews would have actually thought it was very generous to just give about 20% of what you owned. So if we're going by that standard, he's going way over the top. So then he says he's going to give fourfold if he did anything through false accusation. Well, that too is incredible because if you go in the Old Testament law for restitution, if someone was to uh, 
need to make restitution, what would they do? They'd give back that good, basically an additional one-fifth or 20% on top of that. And if you want to look at some of the passages, Leviticus 5.16 and 6.5 and Numbers 5.7 or some of those. But he goes and imposes an even stricter uh, thing on him from Exodus 22.1, where it was basically that imposed on a thief, and he restores fourfold. So if you took someone's sheep, you restore fourfold, you'll see in there. And so basically, this guy is all in. Whether he knew that or not, I don't know if he would have known those things, but that's kind of, he's a demonstration of being all in. It wasn't to earn God's forgiveness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes it clear, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But it's a demonstration that the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Amen? Jesus wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. On the, I had a handout. I, was, I had given you a bunch of scriptures you could look at later. I'm not going to look at them. But here's what it costs us to give our lives to Christ. It costs us what? Our pride. It costs our selfishness. It costs our independence. It costs our greed and fleshly desire for comfort and ease. And you could go on and on. It costs. It's tough. And... Uh, I shared this in the last one. I, had, I was going to share one from my own life, but this one is one I recall. Someone mentioned it to me recently, and I remembered. When we were in Los Angeles years ago, and there was a preacher preaching in a park, and, and Los Angeles can have some pretty rough areas, and uh, this guy was preaching the gospel, and although I couldn't see who he was talking to because it was a crowd, but he, at one point there was a guy with shades on, and this guy basically said to him, take him up, lift him up. And when, of course, I couldn't see who he was but supposedly there was maybe tears. He wanted to see what was going on in this guy's life. But this guy would have been from a gang neighborhood. And now this is what he does. He says to him, okay, look back. Look at your boys, something to that effect. So he has to now look. How, would li- how many would like to do that? It's more, I like the all heads bowed, all eyes closed, you know, say this prayer. This guy's like, look back. And made it very clear that this was not an easy walk and basically... And this guy, from what I remember, I mean, I can't remember well, but I believe he made the commitment and he surrendered to Christ right in front of everyone. But you know what? He would have received Jesus gladly, amen, joyfully, because that's what Jesus does. So we're going to close up here. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to just help you here today. Or even if you do know Jesus, I want you to still hear some of these key things. Someone online, someone here, someone that's listening, you might actually feel that you are despised. You know, we can look really good on the outside, but we can be absolute junk on the inside. How many know that? You know, I could, you know, what do they call it, slap lipstick on a pig, they say, or whatever. I mean, we can make ourselves look really good, and we can have absolute garbage going on in our hearts. Someone could feel that Jesus does not want to be around that. You're no good. You feel you're worth nothing. You feel you've been distant from God for too long. You've done too much wrong, and you don't think Jesus cares. And I want to say this. He does. He does. You might think he doesn't notice you. He does. You might not think he'd ever want a relationship with a loser like you. He does. In fact, he already knows you're a sinner. Just like he knew Zacchaeus was one. Just like he knew I was one. It's no different. Different time, different place. But we all need Jesus Christ. Scripture makes clear all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, he knew it. He's the author of the text. He's God. He knows that apart from putting your trust in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, this is the key, that you're actually under God's judgment. He knows that if you're to die, and this is just the reality, that you're hell-bound. 
for eternity. It's not a joke. It's not something we should take lightly. You know, we have one life on this earth. And after that, we face a judgment. We have one time. Scripture says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. And this is just all we end with this. Jesus Christ, he knew that a penalty had to be paid because we deserve death. What did he do? You all know the story. He died on the cross. But some people might not know that story. If you've never heard it, he died on the cross. Why? He took the very punishment you deserve, that I deserve, for our sin debt. And what happened? Well, because he's God, he died, he rose again. What did he do in that moment? He defeated sin and death. But there's a next step. He ascended, and he's called the great high priest. Why? He's at the right end of his father, and it tells us in Hebrews 7.25, he's interceding always to save us completely. Anyone who puts their trust in him alone, who says, Lord Jesus, I come to you, and I ask by faith that you would just literally take away my sin. I confess this to you. I want to receive your forgiveness. Today, this very day, I make a choice to turn away from my sin, and my life is now in your hands to do as you please. Here's what happens. He now literally forgives your sin gives you new life, and begins interceding. I mean, you're, you're literally under him. You're, you're safe and protected and covered. Amen? So if you've never yet given your life to Christ, this is what we're going to do. I just want, I'm not going to pressure you, push you, but I want you to take a moment and just literally sit quiet. Just sit quiet. Jesus Christ is really real. He's in our midst. He wants to seek and to save the lost. He knows better than any one of us do, and the Holy Spirit is at work to go and literally minister to each heart. Close, just give him time, give him space. And so Jesus, I ask right now for every person that's here, you will minister deep in our hearts. You will do a seeking and a saving. If there's anyone here that is lost or anyone online who has not yet made a commitment to you, Jesus, or found new life through you, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Today will be the day where they finally bow the knee of their heart and yield their lives to you by faith and cry out to you and ask for forgiveness of their sins and truly yield themselves to you in repentance. I thank you for that. And God, for those of us in this room that already do know you, Jesus, we want to thank you again. We acknowledge you as the King of Kings, Jesus. And I pray that you'll stir up in our hearts in the coming days just a real passion again for seeing every person the way you see them, for being willing to be used by you even in uncomfortable situations that are heavy or feel scary or feel just, yeah, uncomfortable. Help us to step through them by faith. And I just thank you. Do a great, great work in this week in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for walking us through that um, account of Zacchaeus and just how he came to Christ and the steps that he took. And if that is what is stirring in your heart today and that is what maybe you were thinking about and praying as uh, you, you, uh, we reflected recently just now, um, uh, Noah would be happy to talk to you at the front afterwards, um, if so. And even for those of us who know him, it's a great reminder to us that Father's arms are always open wide, and he's always ready to, to take our, our sin, confession, and we can, we can come to him and uh, 
we can live that new life that uh, he has promised. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you that you, um, through the example of Jesus, you showed that you um, love all of us, Lord, no matter who we are, uh, what parts of us are broken, what parts of us we can hide inside, uh, what aspects of sin we carry, Lord. Um, you love us. You don't just love us. You don't just wait for us to fill out the forms. You actually go and seek us. And Lord, we just pray that um, we would, uh, all each of us would walk in that reality today. Um, and those who have not walked in that reality before, we pray that the, today would be the day that they would restore that relationship with you so that they can. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Um, we will be having a meeting at uh, for Christmas at the doors. Anybody who has volunteered already or who's interested in volunteering, um, that is a Christmas soup and bannock event on December 3rd. Uh, Ruth and I will meet you at the back. Um, today we're going to have a reflective dismissal and uh, the worship team will um, be singing as we, as we dismiss and we can reflect on this song as we dismiss. Thank you.